go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Habakkuk. Thank you, Brother Parks, for reading our section today. We will be in chapter 2, 15 through the end of the chapter. And if you're new here, you haven't been around, I just want to update you real quick. Uh, why in the world would we ever go through the book of Habakkuk? And again, the answer is always the same. I have no idea. Jesus tells us to do it, told me to do it, so that's what we do. But again, Habakkuk, a prophet of which kingdom congregation? Southern Southern kingdom, good. The northern kingdom had already fallen by this point to the Assyrians. Southern kingdom Judah, getting these warnings from the prophets, if you do not repent from your idol worship, if you do not repent from putting... Other things before God, if you do not repent, you will be destroyed. So we looked at going through where Habakkuk complains to the Lord about Judah and all the sin that's going on around him. And he says, how long, O Lord? And the Lord interrupts straight in there and says, here's my answer. Look what I'm doing. I'm raising up the most evil nation you can imagine right now to come and exercise judgment over you. My discipline is coming Over you, again, we've said many times the last few weeks, it's like us saying, Lord, please fix us. Get this evil out from among us. And he says, no problem, I'm doing it. ISIS is coming. My discipline is coming. So we see the Lord's response, and then naturally we see Habakkuk's response back is, whoa, whoa, that's not what I meant. Don't do that. You can't do that. You're holy. You can't use something evil like that to judge us. You know everything. You're all powerful. This can't be the plan. And then the last few weeks we've been looking at the Lord's response again back to Habakkuk. First one we saw a couple weeks ago was the Lord saying ultimately comparing the righteous who live by faith and those who are proud, those who do not follow God. Specifically the Babylonians. And last week we were able to go through and look at the beginning of these five woes that we see that the Lord puts on the Babylonians. And again, A woe, as we talked about before, does not mean stop the way this is used or spelled. This is saying a judgment, a declaration from the Lord. This is going to happen to the Babylonians. We talked briefly about woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. That's what the Babylonians were doing. We're going through and taking what was not their own. And what we saw was ultimately that in comparison to God who owns everything, but is loving and gives us everything. The contrast there. We saw in the second woe, woe to him who gets evil gain for his his house and cuts off many peoples to fortify their lives. The Lord never does anything evil. He's always good. He's always great. And he does not fortify himself from us, but instead he comes to pursue us through Jesus. The third was woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Again, this is what the Babylonians were doing. But the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, meaning ultimately that they're trying to build a kingdom off of other people's blood. God's building a kingdom off of His Son's blood. And that's the blessing we have. So the last two woes we're going to cover today, one is interesting for sure. We'll try to see what it means and ultimately want to see what God has for us today. So if you're able to, we're going to go through verse by verse, Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Follow along, it should be, there's Bibles in your pews there. It might be up on the screen as well. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15, the fourth woe. Woe to him 
who makes his neighbors drink, you pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. I'll have to be honest, when I first looked at this woe, it was kind of a, huh, that's interesting. How are we going to get anything out of this? What exactly was going on? And again, for smaller ears in the congregation, we won't get too detailed on this section. But apparently what the Babylonians would do is as they would capture people, what historians, some would say, especially those who were studying biblical history at the time, that they would tend to either use alcohol or certain types of poison and make people drink them and, act, and see how they would act. And they would get foolish and drunk. Here's the thing. This is not, uh, we talked about uh, drunkenness before. Again, drunkenness is a sin. Alcohol itself, not a sin. I told you before, there are three things. If you're going to drink alcohol, you have to, it has to be legal. So you can't drink if you're underage or don't drink and drive, those type of things. It has to be legal. You can't get drunk. And it cannot be a stumbling block to others. Now that's the one that's a challenge, and that's the one why some people hold to that they never drink because it could always be a stumbling block. Wherever you are on that, those are the three things you can't do. So with that, drunkenness is you know a sin. We know that. So they would actually make others drunk. And it reminded me as I was looking through this, if you remember back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 9, you actually remember a story where uh, Noah is on the ark with his family. The water's recede and they get off the ark. And you know one of the first things that Noah, what happens to Noah? What does he do? Anyone help? He gets drunk. Now some people are like, God chose not Noah, okay, of all the people, all the evil on the earth, he chooses Noah, keeps his family on the ark, things, the waters go away and Noah gets drunk. Why? I don't know. But what's interesting is, yes, the drunkenness isn't good, but the story there, if you'll remember, there's actually something else that happens. One of his sons comes in and Noah was naked, and he comes in and he sees him. And he looks at him, pokes some fun and everything, and he dishonors his father. Brings shame on his father. Do you know what the other sons do? When they hear about it, he goes and tells them. They go in and they, right? They walk in backwards so they don't see and dishonor their father. There's never been a story that I'm aware of that starts with, oh man. I got so drunk one time that I helped some lady cross the street and then I sat down and read my Bible. Then I went to work and I worked hard that day. Had a meal, came home, loved my wife and my kids. It was such a good day. You guys have stories like that? When you, I'm so drunk, right? No, normally, if that's, the, if that's the story, if somebody's going to tell you a story of, oh, this one time I got so drunk, it's never good. And there are some funny parts perhaps, but ultimately it's not funny. It's always regret. It's mistakes. It's shame. That's what the Babylonians were doing to them, getting them drunk, so that way they could see. Maybe, perhaps, Brother Doug and I were talking about this, perhaps, oh, God's people, right? We've captured God's people. Now, let's get them drunk and see what they do and bring shame upon them. That's what we can't do. That's the issue. 
Woe to him who makes his neighbors drunk. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Again, that nakedness, the shame there. Is there anything that you can imagine to be, that could bring more shame or just uh, certain feelings if you had to be naked in front of everybody? Oh my goodness. I mean, even when they tell you when you're learning to, to do public speaking, they tell you, you know what they tell you to do to picture people in their underwear or something like that, so that way you're more comfortable. I'm not doing that, but listen, so <laughs> didn't think that one through before I brought that up. But that's ultimately what they'll teach you. Why? So that way you're comfortable. And I think that's what's going on here with the Babylonians. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. What's that talking about? Uncircumcision ultimately being they're not followers of God. Circumcision of the heart. Again, that's part of the sign of the covenant of Abraham. If you're following God, you would have circumcision. But ultimately, that circumcision of the heart, it's their unbelief. Drink, show yourself, do these things and show that you are not followers of God. Now, this is interesting. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you and utter shame will come upon your glory. That cup is the wrath of God. Throughout Scripture, we see that the cup is referred to as the wrath of God. The wrath of God is coming on them. Remember, these are the woes that are going to happen to the Babylonians. It's that same cup, which we're going to take the supper later. It's that same cup that Jesus says, Father, if, you could, if this cup could pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done as we were singing about. Why? Because he knew that the wrath of God was about to be poured out on him for all of our sins. That's what that wrath is talking about. But again, the Babylonians are going to feel the wrath of God because they do not believe. Just like if you do not believe in Christ, you will feel the wrath of God. I pray that if you're here today and you do not follow Christ, that you would. Jesus on the cross, He takes our shame, scorns the shame, takes our shame away, yes, our guilt and other things, but what's interesting is if you're not in Christ, it'll be equivalent to standing naked in front of everybody forever, all your sins exposed in front of everyone that's ever lived, all your evil thoughts. I think I prefer Jesus just taking all that aside. I don't know about you. Verse 17, the violence done in Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. At first I was like, what? What does this mean? Thankfully, Scripture helps us. If you'll turn quickly to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Starting in verse 3, the title in this section is Israel's Remnant, Those Who Left Behind, taunts Babylon. So Israel, who after Babylon's destroyed, they taunt Babylon. Listen to this. When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. Remember, the Babylonians are the ones who are coming. How the oppressor has ceased, the insolent fury ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Listen to this part, verse 8. The cypresses rejoice at you, the cedars of Lebanon, saying, since you were laid low, meaning the Babylonians, no woodcutter comes up against us. You know what that's ultimately saying there? Part of what the Babylonians did, if you're not familiar with Lebanon, what they were famous for, it's in Scripture. 
the beautiful trees, the cedars were gigantic. And they were, had these, in these forests, they had all these animals. Well, what the Babylonians and Assyrians did is they would come in and they would just cut down these beautiful trees and make their own roads, make their own idols to worship, and they would just slaughter all the animals. So what this is saying in Habakkuk is the violence done in Lebanon, that violence, it will overwhelm the Babylonians one day. That's what this is saying. It's coming back to them. As will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. I'm so thankful that God is a God who takes away our shame and he wants us to be of sober mind and follow him and not be like the Babylonians who, where Jesus says we're to love God with everything we have and we're to love our neighbor as ourself, the Babylonians weren't doing that. They were bringing harm to their neighbors, bringing wrath upon their neighbors. May that not be us. That's the first woe. The second one might hit home a little bit more. I love you. I love you. I'm your pastor. Some of you, I get to be your pastor for this weekend. I love you. Let's look at this passage together and truly ask God to search our hearts on this next section. Verse 18. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image. A teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. Question. Think for a second. Don't respond on this point. What's an idol? What's an idol? It's all throughout Scripture. Idolatry, idols, made for themselves idols. It's right here. Think in your mind for a second. What is an idol? Good. Something that's made, something that's made with human hands that we worship. Okay? Especially other parts of the world, especially in the time... The Old Testament, you see story after story, there are these little images with gold over them, maybe a gigantic calf with gold over it. These are the idols. So a lot of us, how many of you guys have little idols in your home that you guys worship? Show of hands, you have these little figurines that you put up there and you're kind of bowing down to them. A lot of idol worship going on? How many of you think you might struggle with idol worship? Show of hands. A little bit. (laughs) <laughs> some of you are like, I don't know, but I know that's where you're going, so I'm going to raise my hand. The question we need to ask today is what does an idol look like in our culture, in our lives, and what does it look like to worship it? There's not a lot of little figurines that we worship in the same way. That does happen around the world. Heather and I, our family, we've seen that in other parts of the world. But it looks different in our culture. Here's a basic definition of an idol. And you can write it down if you want to. But here's a basic definition of an idol. Anything or anyone that you put in the place of God. Anything or anyone that you put in the place of God. Let me ask one more time. 
Anyone thinking here, show of hands, if you might struggle with idol worship. More hands should go up. If not, I'll try to convince you. Exodus 20. Thank you again, men, for reading. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of slavery. Notice that God always reminds his people of what he's done. Do you know why he does that? Because we're a forgetful people. We are a forgetful people. Especially when it comes to the great things that have happened and the great things that God has done. When it comes to bad things, man, we can remember that forever. But the good things, the answer to prayers, I was so encouraged to hear that. Diddy, thank you for pointing out that there's just God just answering prayers. We need to hear that. But when, some, when that one thing that bad happened that we didn't understand, man, we'll hold on to that. God always reminds us of who He is because we're a forgetful people. Listen to this. You shall have no other gods before me. First commandment. No other gods. Don't. Now, are there actually other gods that exist out there? There's only one living and true God. But there's things that we make as gods. Things that we worship as gods. Second one, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and, or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. If we have idols, this is what he's saying to us. Listen, I'm a jealous God. When you have put something in my place, I don't like it. In fact, I can say God hates it. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing, but showing, it doesn't end there. Steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Right there at the beginning. First two commandments tied together there. Idol worship, replacing God with something else. Well, how do we know what idols are in our culture today? What do we know what an idol is? Well, anything that we worship and obey can give us a hint to it might be an idol for us. Some of you were able to get a packet when you came in today. There's some packets back here. Take one if uh, they're on the shelf there. If you wouldn't grab one, I'll read a few of these things to you. A few pastors have put together some questions that may help us see if we have any idols. It doesn't necessarily mean you do. And these questions in themselves may not be bad, but some questions could be to help search our hearts to know if we have any idols, if we are putting God out of His place and other things in His place. What one thing do you most hope is in your future? In other words, what is it that without it, your life would hardly even seem worth living? Is there anything in your life other than God that if that was removed, you'd say, I don't even want to live anymore? If that's true, it could be an idol. Could be. Because you're, as, as uh, Ashton read, your fullness of joy and meaning of life is in Christ. If it's not, then that means you, have, you either do not believe yet or you have idols. What is the one thing that you most worry about losing? Now, it doesn't mean that you wouldn't be sad if you lost a child, lost a loved one. That's That's not it, but what do you worry about losing? Remember what Jesus says about worry? Don't do it. What do you worry about? Could be an idol. 
you could change one thing about yourself right now, what would it be? Is there something about your self-image? Yeah? Things about our image could be an idol. The praise of others, I want to look good, whatever it is, that could be an idol. Doesn't mean you shouldn't work out or try to be healthy or whatever, but could it be an idol? Who is there in your life that you feel like you cannot forgive? And why? You may be holding on to something there that may be tied to some type of idolatry. When do you feel the most significant? When do you feel really important? Like, hey, you guys really love me if you start praising me and telling me that I'm, I'm, oh, you're a good pastor. or Oh, I like your teaching. Do I start to feel real significant then? Then yes, my preaching for me could be an idol. My ministry could be an idol. My wife could be an idol. My kids could be an idol. This church could be an idol. Your jobs could be an idol. Your stuff could be an idol. Listen, your comfort, perhaps. But in particular, it's these things that we trust in that are giving us something that we're supposed to get from God. What about your rest? What about when you just have the worst day ever, right? You ever have a bad day, just terrible day, everything goes wrong, and you come home and you go, I can't wait to just dive into God's Word and rest in Him. Is that your response normally? Again, not necessarily saying it is, but whatever else you would slide into that spot, might need to look at it. Might need to look at it. What triggers depression in you? What breaks your heart so much that you just can't go on? feels like this endless spiral. Now, I'm not talking about possible clinical issues, but things in your heart that it just triggers that. Could that thing, whatever that is, be an idol? Because here's the thing. God never lets you down. God always is with you. He has an unending amount of love for you. You go to Him, you can have true rest, we have grace, we have all these things, but if this one thing happens, I'm just done. That could be a problem. It's something to look at. And again, last, where do you turn for comfort when things are not going well? Could be an idol. St. Saint Augustine or Augustine, depending on who you talk to, said like this, Things like worry or fear or sadness or deep depression are smoke from the fires that could be rising from the altar of idolatry. Again, those things in themselves may not be the, the idols, but what's going on in the hearts, in your hearts? So that being said, how about cell phones? We've got to ask the question. To serve it, you have to have it in your hand all the time. I need it. We see it all around. We comment all the time on, well, people today with their cell phones. Heather and I were talking about this. The cell phone itself could be the issue, could be the idol, because it's giving you that whatever acknowledgement because all these apps we have, like Facebook. Talking about idolatry, there's an app for that. A bunch of them. We have to be careful. 
Now, it doesn't, you can have a cell phone and you can use it for the glory of God. Praise God. This is, each of us need to consider these things in our own hearts. Again, our jobs. How about sports? Clubs, sports, sports teams. Let me tell you in the most loving way that I possibly can. If your team loses on Saturday and no one wants to be around you till Monday or Tuesday, you've got an idol. You've got an idol. There's no way that that should make that much of a difference. If you're a Christian, you are in Christ. You've been given every spiritual blessing. You have everything. You're going to rule with Christ for eternity. The God of the universe loves you. He set His eye on you and says, I love you. I choose you. You're with me forever. My team lost. My cell phone's not working. Chick-fil-A's closed on Sundays. (laughs) That one I'll give you. That one's really tough. But we need to ask the question, what is going on when we don't get that thing? Again, good things a lot of times. Good things. Sports aren't a sin. God's made us athletic and we can play these things and have fun. Many of you know Tim Tebow. To me, when I watched him, he seemed to do it to the glory of God. It was in the right perspective. It was never these other things in the place of God. From what I saw, it was God first, and he used it as a platform to bless many. Where are you on this? i got to ask you because I love you. And anything that's an idol, realize God hates it. And we should hate it too. Now, here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, sometimes we talk about old dead preachers. A guy named John Calvin once said that the heart is an idol factory. Just like creates idols. I got rid of that one. Another idol comes. What's interesting is if you're a Christian, you know what you you have that's new inside of you? You have a new heart. You don't have to have this idol factory. But here's the thing. Our flesh our mind, we still gravitate towards those things. But we have the ability to destroy those things by the power of the Spirit with the Word. So let's quickly look back at our text. Now that we've set a little context for what it might look like in our minds and what in our society of what an idol is, for these guys, what profit is an idol when when the maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. Any of these things might be good things in your guys' hearts or minds, but listen, if you put them in the place of God, it's a lie. It's a lie. There's nothing that's created that can offer you the same things the one who's created everything can offer you. He knows you. He can give you such great joy. And here you say, well, I've never really had this before. Maybe you don't know Jesus yet. Or maybe you do, but you've never really been able to drink from the depths of Scripture yet. Filled with God's Spirit. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. They can't say anything that's meaningful. They really can't unless they're telling you the things of God. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. To us, again, we'd go, it's pretty foolish. If we were watching somebody do that and they're talking to a stone, got this plant, come on, give me some good news. What do I need to do today? Okay. All right. High five. Now, 
All of us would be like, that's silly, but not if we lived at that time. We'd probably be right around the same tree. Yeah, yeah, what's he going to tell us today? But I'll tell you what, when you continually go on to the internet to get your wisdom, to get your insight, what should I do with my life today? Oh, there's my Facebook. Oh, that's a cute thing. Great. I like it. Now, again, some use it to share the gospel. Again, like Paul says, we want to do everything we can, any means necessary. We want to be able to share the gospel and get people to believe in Christ. But can they really teach us? Can they teach us more than what the Word can? No. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. Isn't it interesting that gold and silver have been important for forever? It's interesting. And there is no breath in it all. Now watch what the last verse happens. Look, look, look what happens the last verse of chapter 2. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Do you remember? Put it in the context of what we saw. Habakkuk going back and forth with God. How long are you going to do this, God? Oh, no, no, don't, don't use them. We don't, no, no, I don't want you to use the Babylonians. No, no. And then God gives this long answer these This is what righteousness looks like. The righteous live by their faith. This is what the unrighteous look like. Here are the five woes. Here's the judgments that's coming. And you're worshiping all these false idols. That response to Habakkuk, these five woes that we went through, ends with, but the Lord is in His holy temple. The extraordinary, incredible God, the living God, who can truly help us, who has helped us, has done everything for us in Christ Jesus. He's the one who's in His temple. And our response needs to be sometimes stop questioning everything, stop going to everything else, every other idol we have, and just be silent before the incredible God and hear from Him through His Word. Have Roy come on up and I'm going to do a short time of invitation and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. In this time of invitation, this is just that invitation to respond. And again, if you do not know the Lord yet, if you are running after idols, chasing after gods that you've created, things that you worship, including the possibility of the fact that you worship yourself, today you can change that and you can cry out to God. You can do that there. You can come down here. If you already are following Christ, but you've noticed that perhaps there are some things in your life, some idols that are creeping up, here's how you destroy them. Just take a hammer right to them and destroy them. It's got to be a holy hammer. You confess it to God. God, this is an idol in my life. You say, Lord, I repent of it. I'm asking you to destroy it. The Lord can do it. And then you... Let your community know so we can walk through it together with one another. Let's go ahead and respond. Let me close in prayer and then go ahead. Father, again, we love you and we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Show us our hearts. Show us any idols we may be chasing after. Show us anything that we've put in your place and help us to repent of it. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.